Hi everybody, welcome to another Rahalastapa. This one has been fast-tracked. We recorded it last Wednesday. It's with Bill Burr. A really uh, interesting and long chat, despite it being his birthday and him having a week old child. Uh, rescheduled because he was having a baby the week before. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I hope you will too. Um, Bill was very keen to crack on with the podcast. I did explain I was meant to do a bit of stand-up at the start, but... Uh, he sort of jumped all over it. So I'll tell you what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I sort of slightly allude to it, but um, uh, I'd come up with a, the Colston statue going into the drink in Bristol was a cause of great celebration for me. I'm a local boy and uh, uh, and it's always been a sort of horrible little stain over the city that so much is named after Colston and it's been so difficult to get things changed. So I think it was a lovely thing to see people power in operation and... Um, just targeting one act of vandalism, admittedly, but against unless you're pro-slave trading, then you know we've got to we've got to be we've got to take into account all viewpoints in this world, right, and accept them. But if you're pro-slave trading or think that there's not a problem with having a, a statue of a slave trader in a multicultural society, then you gotta have a look at yourselves and don't get upset about that and nothing else. Um, so. Uh, you know, it, maybe it'll go too far. Who knows? Maybe they'll take down every statue in the world. But I think that was a good call. Uh, but I did come up with the idea of having the uh, statue put back uh, and then a new statue made with the protesters pulling it down. So it would satisfy everyone that Colston would still be there, covered in paint and pulled down. Uh, but it would also commemorate a great day, I think, in Bristol's history. Bristol needed to do this. Uh, I think maybe just... My local understanding of the place uh, makes it more poignant for me, but uh, maybe not. Um, then the next day after I tweeted that, Banksy tweeted it and got on CNN and everything. And uh, it's annoying, he ripped me off. Old Banksy, Ian Banksy. He's already got all the banks. Why does he need to rip me off as well? So I was going to talk about that. I think we briefly did mention that to the Friday at the start of the podcast. Um, I was going to talk about the fact that... Um, uh, that I think my kids are coping quite well psychologically with lockdown. Um, you know, they aren't seeing other kids very much. My daughter's actually just gone back to school, so that's nice. But my son hasn't really seen any other kids apart from just passing in the street for a long time. I don't think it's psychologically damaged him. The other day we were playing in the garden with the sprinkler. They were running in out of the sprinkler. Uh, and my son kept on calling the sprinkler his best friend. He said, my, the, my best friend got me wet. So I don't think it's psychologically damaged him. I've been um, helping them to eat their food. You know, people do the aeroplane thing. I thought it was a bit boring, so I kind of improed quite a few of ideas like a lift that like a great glass elevator that could go anywhere and arrived at its place a football match where it goes into the goal uh the final thing i came up with is the one that still worked they loved it and the, the one that really worked is i pretend to be like an elephant or a brontosaurus doing a poo and i can't find anywhere to poo and then i poo in their mouth and they go oh you've eaten the poo i can't see that's going to lead to any psychological damage but uh my kids don't appreciate what they're getting that's what i'm saying you know i'm providing this bang on fantastic uh, improvised stand-up comedy. They just think all dads are as brilliant as me. And they're not. They'll learn. They'll find out one day how. Just because I beat them and make them friends with sprinklers. I don't beat them. I don't. No, don't hit your kids. Come on. Grow up. 
Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so we did, I didn't get a chance, which is good because we don't want to repeat ourselves. But uh, if you're enjoying these live streams, uh, live streamed Rahalastapas, we're doing them every Wednesday night on twitch.tv slash rkherring. Uh, there's lots of other stuff going on that channel, including stone clearing, snooker, very exciting snooker tournament. Uh, on Sunday nights, we occasionally do a, I've done one with Katie, my wife, um, uh, uh, director's commentary of a film that we're not involved with. Hopefully we'll keep on doing those every now and again. And I want to start, once I've got my book out of the way, I want to start uh, trying to find some other exciting ways to use the Twitch channel. Twitch.tv slash rkherring. If you're with Amazon Prime, you can give me £5 every single month at no cost to yourself. If you go to Herring1967 on YouTube and look in the video section, it's on the second or third layer down, you'll find it. All the instructions of how to do that is slightly complicated. You have to remember to go back every month, but we'll channel that money back into making more podcasts. Or you can become a monthly badger and get your fantastic I'm One of the Cool Kids packs with two badges, a membership card, all sorts of secret codes. Um... That's my son trying to join in the podcast. Hope you're enjoying that. Uh, plus access to all the backstage videos. Uh, lots more there. So your support would be appreciated. We're going to put it all back together into trying to, uh, uh, once we're filming the Rahalastapas live, which we might live stream as well. Um, and we're making a uh, audio sitcom when I can get around to writing that. And uh, we'll try and do provide you with loads more content for all the money that you are providing us with um so thank you very much for your support in these difficult times gofasterstrike.com has some uh, great things you can buy the books and the chop chops and downloads you know the stuff i'm talking about so uh, oh, i was going to talk about single people can uh, uh share spend a night with a loved one uh, as of uh, what will be for you last saturday um and just talk about it being a fuck fest but it is a loved one so be careful because if you go around and spending time with someone they will think you're in love with them, so just be careful. I'm not jealous of you. I've been having sex all through the lockdown. Often with myself, but sometimes with a human being. Got married. Bad luck losers should have got married. And then you could have had occasional sex as well. Boop, boop. Okay, let's crack on. Uh, I hope to sit back and enjoy this fabulous podcast with the multi-talented and very impressive William Burr. Hello, welcome to another live streamed podcast. Uh, this is Richard Herring's Lamenting Slave Traders podcast. Uh, too many people are uh, on the slave trade, up against the slave traders, and I think it's time to feel sad for them having their statues thrown into water. Mate, we'll give it a go, see how that goes. Uh, What's but I was the overhead with all of those boats? <laughs> I was talking to Banksy the other day. Uh, he's uh, come up with an idea for a podcast. It's called Rahalastapa. Uh, so uh, you can hear my guest is already there. Uh, so I might just go straight to him. Uh, Banksy ripped off my idea, basically. I'll, I'll, this is it's he's probably best known. Here he is as uh, Fitzy in Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Here he is. Will you please welcome Bill Burr? There he is, Fitzy. We all know him as Fitzy. From, oh, uh, wait, sorry, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to talk. In no, the no, it's okay. We've come in. We've we've come in uh, a bit last minute, so that's all cool. Um, no, we've had uh, some fun in the UK with in Bristol, where I'm near. We're near to where I'm from, where uh, people have pulled. Have you seen this news? People have pulled down the statue of a, a guy who made his money slave trading and thrown it in the harbour. It's, it's it's a delightful story. Uh, but I came up with the idea. Some people across that the slave traders um, statue has been torn down in the UK. 
Uh, I came up with an idea they should get out of the harbour and then make a statue of it being pulled down by protesters. And then Banksy came up with that idea the next day, the artist, <laughs> and uh, he's all over the newspapers with that idea. So I'm annoyed that he's, he's, he's ripped me off accidentally, I'm sure. Anyway, how are you, Bill? Are you OK? I'm doing great. Yep. I'm doing great. Happy no birthday. Complaints. 52 today. Thank you. Now we're the same yeah, age. 52 years old. Yeah. Still not taking a day off from show business. Look at me. Still promoting. It's incredible. Still a big Hollywood phony. And more impressively, you've got a, a six or seven day year old baby as well. And you're still promoting. So that is the reason we didn't get you last week was because you were rushing to hospital. Yep. He's a week old. Wow. Old champ. How are you sleeping? Are you getting any sleep? You know, in uh, two hour pockets. Um, <laughs> it is. But this is the second time around. So I don't know. I just knew that my life was going to be a certain way until like September, hopefully. But it, the kid isn't colicky or anything like that. He's sure. a champ. You know, he gets he gets milk drunk. He passes out. So it's good. <laughs> so well, all I got to do is wake up, change the diaper, hand him to my wife. And then, uh, you know, but we also have a little bit of help here, too. My oh, mother-in-law is right down the street. Oh, oh, that's nice. That's good. Well, you know, I've, I've been I've got two young kids as well, which is one of our many similarities. And uh, I was up at half past two last night and didn't really uh, get much sleep. So we might just work in a little nap halfway through the podcast. We can both have a little nap uh, and it'll be fine. Right. Uh, there are some similarities. I, you're, I'm 11 months older than you. We both got into stand up in uh, the early 90s. Uh, had a bit of stuff on TV, but it we, wasn't until we both got into podcasting. You were about five or six months before me in podcasting. I've been podcasting since January uh, 2008, and you were, I think, June, June maybe 2007. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, things have turned... I like got, how you're saying maybe, and you're 100% accurate in, in all of your research. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to say uh, maybe June 2007. It's just just from memory, so I might have got it wrong. You've got two. You've, we've both had kids late in life. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. You've got a three-year-old and a naught-year-old. Is that right? And uh, yep. uh, boy and a, a girl and a boy, so exactly the same. And you've been on Breaking Bad, and I've been on Pointless Celebrities. So it's it's exactly it's exactly the same parallel universe. It is. I'm glad just, we finally met. It's incredible. You are the American <laughs> me with a bit more success, um, but. Um, do you remember being Fitzy and Two Guys, A Girl in a Pizza Place? That's the one I'm most interested in. I'm going to talk about that yes, for I did. minutes. Yes, I did. I did that. And I remember um, thinking that that was all one part or that I was going to get to play the role of Bernie because right. Bernie had more lines. <laughs> and then it turned out I actually played Ann Fitz. And my lines were just like, awesome. <laughs> Huge. And this is the thing. I was I sucked at it. I wasn't funny. Like I didn't know how to I wasn't a good actor back then. But that's that's probably why I had three lines, three words. So I do remember. Um, um, the star of the show, Ryan uh, Reynolds, is it? It's going on to be like the biggest star ever. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Come on. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I remember being blown away by his confidence. Right. And he was like a 20, 21-year-old kid. And uh, I just thought that he just had that star power thing. Sure. And everybody on the show was like really cool. And it was kind of exciting in that that it, it it later became two guys and a girl. And then, but it went on to become like, you know, a syndicated hit. I and just, I, I think I was in the pilot. Right. So just being a nerd of show business, it was a lot of fun. 
to be like, oh, wow, they, they all made it. And they got syndication <laughs> money back when there was syndication money. So I was very happy with everybody. All of them. Trailer Howard. I'm trying to remember all the names, but they were all cool. Cool. Well, that's good. I, I, I take a bit of a punt with uh, with that. I, I, we haven't. It didn't make it over to the UK that particular sitcom. So. I didn't oh know. my God! You guys, you're, you're so uncultured out there. How do you how do you get back from two guys, a girl, and a pizza place? <laughs> we'll look it up. It must be online. You guys could have smoothed over that whole Brexit thing. You could have got on the same page. All just sitting there <laughs> watching that show. As long as there's no blackface face in it, everything with blackface in it has today been cancelled in the UK. So as long as no one blacked up in it, then we can watch it. There might it might be filling the schedules. There's a lot of UK shows with blackface in them. Surprisingly, amazing recently. to me that that white people still do that, and then are astounded by the backlash. <laughs> it's like even if you think there's nothing wrong with it, it's like don't be astounded by a backlash because it's just yeah. you haven't noticed the last 900 people having their careers ended immediately when they did it. You would think no matter how racist you are, you'd at least be intelligent enough to not shoot yourself in the foot and maybe just keep that for your own private. Eyes wide shut party at home. You'd think they would do that, right? Nope. It's weird. Well, I think there was a period between like 2002 and 2010 where I think everyone, maybe in the UK, thought the problem had gone away and it was all right to to go back to it. I remember thinking when I saw those things, this is pretty weird. Uh, But there was a surprising amount of it. It's. it's, I I know there's a few people in America who've. Uh, I think Jimmy Kimmel's recently just uh, they've dug up some old sketch of that. But uh, it happened a lot. There was a show in the UK in the 70s. That's my favorite thing. I love when they dig something up (laughs) and everybody that was alive when it was happened, when it happened and didn't voice being offended 15 years later gets to be retroactive. I'm talking about the white people. Yeah, they get retroactively. I know black people were immediately offended, but the white people are going to be like, (laughs) and then this happened in 1998. It's like, aren't you like 35? I think (laughs) at what point did you finally wake up and realize that maybe that was something you didn't want to do? So I think that that's, uh, I don't know. There's there's a big thing now with white people over here, um, throwing other white people under the bus, under the guise that they're, they, they care about black people. But I, I always wonder, there's a little bit of like, yeah, put it on him and keep it off of me. Sure. You know, it's like all the woke hiring that's being done now in Hollywood. It's like and they're all acting like they got rid of the white people that weren't hiring people of color. It's like you're the same people. You just got called out on it. And now you're acting like you know, the old way of doing it. Oh, you mean the way you were doing it five years ago? Get the fuck out of here. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's, it's interesting with your stand up because obviously you're um, you're expressing quite a lot of uh views that are against that kind of liberal consensus that a lot of stand-ups uh prescribe i am liberal but him but i am liberal yeah, exactly. but i'm not exactly. like i'm not a liberal that is like so far to that that side that you you sort of starting to become you know other than your ideologies the way you handle differences of opinion is no different than the far right yeah sure you got a little crazy over here a little crazy over here where it just was just if somebody said something that means you did it and then your entire ability to earn a living was then going to be taken away uh unless you weren't good at it yeah if you weren't good at it then it was okay to continue on because <laughs> there were certain comedians that were good at being comedians and people were like i don't think you should ever be a comedian again then there was other people who got busted and then started to pick up the pieces by becoming comedians, but because they sucked and no one was going to their shows, nobody had a problem with it. So none of it made sense. 
It's but, just a lot of headless running around. But with, with a comedian, I think it's it's. Uh, I mean, there's it's wrong to sort of prescribe any uh, idea, any purpose to it because you can do whatever you want with comedy. But it's part of the of comedy's job to you know see the bad on both sides to pick apart bad arguments to pick apart things that are ludicrous so i think any the minute a comedian becomes too entrenched in a political view it's then then are quite difficult i think as if you are a liberal i think at that point is when when you move on to having your own talk show <laughs> you know what i mean yeah sure but I, I think also you know as you say i think you can see the I'm sure some people can't see the irony in some of the routines, but you can see the the uh, the, 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 the the you're very playful with it. So you'll take things to a ridiculous extreme that therefore shows that you, you don't really mean it. You're 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 playing around with the ideas, which again is what. Oh, I understand what, that the, uh, how much information is out there and how much is actually between my ears, which is a big difference. Yeah. So you can't take yourself too seriously, and if you kind of like shit on both sides then everybody can kind of just, you know, laugh at themselves and hopefully, I don't know what, be a little more, uh, I don't know, not as offended at the end of the show. Sure. It's so stupid. People are getting offended. Like the amount of stuff that you can truly get, the amount of stuff that's truly happening. Um, but it's a lot of the really bad stuff has advertising money behind it. So no one wants to really address that. So I think comedians in a way are just sitting ducks where it's just like that's you're going to take all of your... Forget what the, the oil companies and the bankers and the corporations, forget all of that stuff. Did you hear the, the Caitlyn Jenner joke this guy did? Yeah. You know? It's just, I just, we're soft targets, I think. Yeah. But I think also in your routines, in your, in your, in your specials, the big thing is you sort of aren't saying you know. I think what's you, you'll you'll do a big rant about something. And go, I don't know though. <laughs> I don't know. And so I think like because I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't, Richard. I don't. I'm just saying what I think is right. Yeah. But I can be swayed. You know, anybody listening, you don't need to yell at me. I can be swayed <laughs> if you make good points. And I realize that I, you know. I've read a lot, but they've been like autobiographies of sports heroes. Sure. So that doesn't really, <laughs> that's not really the best thing when you start commenting on uh, the ills of society, I guess. And comedy should be a place where you can question things. And it should be a place that is a, you know, it should ironically be a slightly safe space in the sense that you should be allowed to say what you want. And if you're wrong, then, the, you know, as a comedian, you know, the audience, let, if you fuck it you up, can the say audience what you it. want, as long as it's what they want to hear, yeah. is how it's become. <laughs> yeah. That's that's progressive thought right now. It's really stupid. And it's also like um, the level of power that it's been given is. It's like it's crazy. Like I've been, like there was like a, there was a legit time over here for about 18 months. The comics were walking around worried about getting in trouble. It's like with who? <laughs> like how many people are really like. You know, it it, it only takes like. I kind of learned with my podcast network, if we all tweeted at the same time, if 40 of us tweeted at the same time, you could get something going. <laughs> so it's it's not a good read of like, and I saw something like on Twitter where it was just like, you know, like 2% of the people on Twitter created like 60% of the content or something like that. So it's really not a good, it was like, a, like say 15% of the, of the American population was on Twitter. And then 2% of that 15% created like this really high percentage of the content. So sure. everybody else is just sort of, you know, <laughs> just watching it. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's, it's who cares? Who cares? It, I know. Ways? Well, it's, it is. It is crazy as well. Let's. Well, look. I've been. Uh, we're. Let's talk about uh, the the new projects that I've said. The King of Staten Island, which I saw a couple of weeks ago, which I think is out now. Is it? It's, it's, it's streaming. The peak Friday comes Friday. Out, uh, starts streaming Friday over here. Okay, so it's uh, it's a it's a film. Judd Judd Apatow directing and Pete Davidson, uh, who's uh, from Saturday Night Live, which again maybe in the UK people aren't quite as familiar with Saturday Night Live, but I think they will know who Pete. It is. It's a sketch show that came out about five years after Monty Python. Yeah, <laughs> and it's still going. Just to give you a frame of it. It's been around since 1975, and it's yeah. launched a lot of major careers. No, well, I, I it's now on Sky, and I do. I, I we we watch it all the time. It's a, it's a it's an interesting show. It's uh, it's it's obviously launched a, a, a lot of uh, big names. Um, but you play. It's a. It's a. It's a big. Um, it's a. Big... I hope nobody ever describes one of my stand-up specials as interesting. I well, your, it's like all your special. It was interesting. Well, but with a stand-up show, it made you me pre- rub my chin a little bit. You like, did, okay. You don't do a stand-up show in a week and put it out on TV. And if you did, it would be interesting, Bill. I think. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's it's hit and miss. Okay, I was going to say it's hit and miss, but that but all all comedy and all stand, especially sketch shows, are always hit and miss. But it's um, everything is hit or miss. Yeah, you go into a bar, you talk to some birds, as you guys say over there. It's <laughs> hit or miss. Say. Hit or miss. Yeah, but uh, the film is. Um, oh, wait a minute, is that a urine sample? I heard if you drink your own urine, that's how you keep your hair. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> It's a it's a non alcoholic beer. It's a non alcoholic beer. I'm trying. I'm I'm kind of skirting around not drinking and then drinking. I drank last night, so I'm having non alcoholic beer. It's all right. Oh God bless you. Thank you. Everything in moderation. <laughs> right. So you. I haven't drank since November twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen, and I'm miserable. Oh really? I I gave up for let's see. I gave up for a year, thirteen months, uh, about the same time as we live parallel lives. I I gave up until just before the coronavirus hit. And then I'm glad I drank. I drank pretty much through the first two months of the coronavirus and then thought I'm going to stop a bit again because it was a bit too much. I, re- I remember actually being happy that I wasn't drinking because I would have I would have gone through some bottles during that. But uh, I actually dream about drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream last night that I had a drink and it wasn't even taste good. I was more thinking like, oh, I ended my streak of days. That's all I really thought. But um I've had that dream. I've had that dream. I could use a beer and a shot like you read about. Why? Why? What made you uh, stop drinking? My kid. Yeah. That's yeah, I would be downstairs legally shit faced (laughs) thinking like, God forbid my daughter had a problem. And then I'm going to be drunk dad who has to Uber to a hospital. Um, The big you know what the big mistake I made was I brought it home. Yeah. I, for most of my adult life, if I wanted to have a drink, I had to go out to a bar. Um, and a big change was when I brought a bottle home and then there was like nobody could shut me off. Nobody could tell me the bar was always open. And then it, uh, yeah, it got out of control. It's like, you know, I, I try not to have cookies in the house. I, I really realized for the longest time I, I was looking at people that had sort of compulsive and addiction issues that I thought I was free of it. And um, I'm wondering if I just wasn't aware of it because I kind of grew up in a strict house where there wasn't a bunch of cookies and crap. Yeah. And having soda was something you did only if you went out to a restaurant that I just wasn't able to give into it. And uh, I don't know. Or 
and you just have it around the house and eventually just become addicted to it because you're doing it all the time. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm Once the same. again, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm definitely the same with uh, biscuits, as we call them over here in England. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, what's your favorite? What's your fa- What's your go-to? I like. Well, see, I, I've I've had to stop eating chocolate because I eat chocolate so much. So all chocolate biscuits are gone, um, and uh, I like ginger biscuits. That's what I like. Well, that was my nickname in high school. Yeah, I so I think this was. is. <laughs> the old ginger biscuit. I I, I kind of go around. I'm, I've been I've been liking the blonde Oreos lately, just okay. for something. Um, I don't know if you have those over there. I but, don't think we do. Uh, we have Oreos, but they see they came over cool. fairly recently. Really, we didn't. Uh, those were things we'd see on them. There's things like Twinkies we see on American people TV. People haven't attacked it yet. They haven't said it looks too much like blackface if you turn it to the side. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get rid of those cookies. Do you know over here, they, Elmer Fudd, I guess, got rid, they got rid of his shotgun. Right. He's this old school hunter from the Bugs Bunny cartoon, yeah. and they didn't want him to have a gun. <laughs> you should see his gun, too. Like, it literally comes, like, the barrel, like, like goes out gigantic. It's like, it's like something from, like, the 1700s. <laughs> the worst that he's going to influence people to get a gun or something. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway let's let's talk about the film for a little bit my favorite well, you play uh, a uh, well it's, it's interesting isn't it because pete uh is quite well known for his his dad was a firefighter who died in 9-11 and in the film he's he's got a firefighter dad who's died in uh in a in a fire uh and yeah. you you play his his mum has uh, not had any other man since the the, the Fifteen twenty years since that happened, and uh, you come in as the new love interest, who's also a firefighter. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a proper full on acting role, right? It's like it's it's a it's a it's the most lines I've ever had in a movie, and it was yeah. definitely the most range of stuff. You know, little the screaming and yelling. Obviously, I've done that my whole career, but uh, <laughs> sort of you know having kids and trying to mentor Pete's character and the the romance storyline like i never had stuff like that before but uh fortunately i got to work with people like you know marissa tomei yeah. steve buscemi dom lombardozzi um you know i got to work with some real heavy hitters and and um you know and then there was a lot of real firefighters on the shoot too so sure they made sure, sure. and he's like literally putting the ladder up there's a way to put the ladder up where you look like an actor or you look like a firefighter <laughs> so they were definitely honest for all of that stuff sure my favorite scene in it is when you and Pete have a fight and it's just like a real fight. Like often on movies, fights aren't like real fights, but it's a proper fight in that you're both basically just pushing each other and failing really to hit each other properly. Yeah. And it's a very good yes. comedic fight, but you hardly ever see anything like that on a film. You're, you'll only see... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the the 15th round of an old school heavyweight. And for some reason, everybody knows how to move and, <laughs> yeah. and throw. And, and, you know, and it's just like a, a real street fight is one of the ugliest things you'll ever see. You like you have a better chance of like blowing out your Achilles than actually connecting with a punch. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm also going for my skill set. Have you been in have you been in fights in real have you, have you sort of fight? I know you're a. a you're an angry person in your shows, but are you? Are you? You get? Does that anger? Come I'm really out? not angry. No. I'm I'm imitating angry sure. people, but people sort of like like if I actually did stand up and I was angry, uh, which I have done. I, if I'm just in a bad mood, my jokes don't work because <laughs> the stuff that I talk about, I have to be in like a playful mood. 
So, um, you know, and just making fun of me flipping out or something I flipped out about in the moment when I'm, te I'm telling the story, I'm not actually upset, but people, they try to go rage fueled comedy. Like it's astounding, <laughs> like how much people don't even understand humor. Like he made fun of that. That means he doesn't care about it. It's like, or it means he cares about it so much. He doesn't want to feel those feelings. You fucking dope. So <laughs> as far as like the fighting goes, I fought up until about junior high. Right. And then everybody hit a growth spurt and I didn't. <laughs> and I had to switch to the humor because all of a sudden teeth were getting knocked out and there was blood and shit. I mean, I had, I, you know, I fought every day with my brothers, fist fights and shit, but there's a level that your older brother's going to, he'll, that he'll stop because dad's going to come home, you know? And once we got to junior high, it was like, and I, you know, I'll fight you after school. It, there was a couple of beatdowns that, uh, they kind of took, took my heart where I was just like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to do that to somebody. And I certainly don't want to have that done to me. So, um, then, then there was a period where I, I, I went from sticking up for myself to not sticking up for myself. So then all the work that I had created of getting respect, grades one through six, I then lost six through eight <laughs> and then paid the price in high school. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a great, it's a very funny scene. The film's great. I mean, it's, I think Judd Apatow films for me, now that I've got kids, they're just a little bit too long. That's my only criticism of Judd Apatow films. I want them to be over in two hours so I can go to bed. Well, that's the great thing about kids' movies. I just watched that <laughs> Jungle Book movie with my daughter last night. It was like an hour and 15 minutes. It's yeah. just like perfect. Yeah. But we're fall, we're like fall asleep. Dead by eight thirty. <laughs> but it's it's very good. You're you're fantastic in it, and you you you're I you know I for, kept forgetting it was you actually. To be honest, it's it's um which I think is the is the real sign of when you you recognise someone and know someone, and then they're so inhabited in the character they're not like the the person that you associate them with, and you forget you know. So it's. It's a great job. It's a very interesting. It's a. Thank it's you a very, very much. That's a very high compliment. I appreciate uh, that. No, no, no. It's good, man. And it's. Uh, I mean, it's. Was it difficult for Pete to? I mean, I know he's joked about that. That his dad in the past, and I know that's the way he deals with it. Was it? Was that a, a difficult film for for him to be a part of? Yes. I, well, from what I'm gathering from his interviews, he didn't let on about it, and I I didn't talk to him about it like i try i try to do the german irish thing like oh that's emotionally painful let's bury it and talk about something else i would be the worst therapist ever <laughs> um well we don't want to talk about that do we let's move on it's a nice sunny day isn't it um i uh i i do remember one of the days when we were first getting together and we were meeting the firefighters we went to the 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 firehouse that pete's dad worked at right and the one that he last worked at and uh i know pete remembered being there as a kid and i gotta tell you one of the guys john sorrentino who was working at the firehouse at the time and fortunately was off the day off that day on 9 11 so or he would have suffered the same fate um he told us the whole story we went downstairs and he showed us all the 9 11 photos and all the stuff and like i mean dude it was like it was really heavy and i, I was sitting there going like man i don't know if i'm be able to do this justice what have i got myself into and i when we went to leave you know pete did make a comment you know in a joking way of like okay great and now i'm gonna go home and cry like did it like a comedian <laughs> yeah 
And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, hey, like I, I, I kind of uh, feel like I dropped the ball, to be honest with you, as a friend. I, I didn't know how to handle that. And um, so, but I, I, I was happy when I, I did an interview with him, Pete and Judd, and he was saying how he feels with this movie, he can, he can put this stuff behind him. Yeah, and kind of have like his his own identity. I think um, w- with like now he's Pete Davidson, the man, as opposed to for for you know a long time in any sort of public eye. I think he was the son of a firefighter that died on nine eleven. Yeah, and, and I also think that people, for whatever reason, want to constantly bring it up. Like uh, he he did tell me that that. People come up to him all, hey, I knew your dad. He was a great guy, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, so it's you just keep picking at the wound. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like, you know what happened? It's like if he wants, I, I just look at it like, I just treated it like if he wanted to bring it up and talk about it, I would. Yeah. But if he didn't, I wasn't going to bring it up. Why would, because why would you do that to somebody? Sure. No, that's I good. wouldn't do that if somebody's dog died. <laughs> so do you still miss your dog? You find yourself <laughs> excited to go for a walk and then look at that leash and realize there's nothing to connect it to. Like, why would I do that to somebody? <laughs> but people, they like to do that. I don't know why they do that. You know, my wife watches a lot of shows where there's people getting interviewed, crying about the most painful moments in their life. And I always tease her about it. And it's just like, oh, great. So like their children dying is now your entertainment for the evening. <laughs> Like, how do I kill these? Like, I remember people were asking me that when that Michael Jackson documentary came out. Hey, did you see the Michael Jackson documentary? So I was like, no. Why would I want to watch that? Like, what, what am I going to do for tonight's entertainment? Oh, I'll smoke a joint and watch, uh, I'll watch pedophilia testimony. <laughs> I've seen every episode of The Office. I need something else to entertain me. I feel like about that with Chernobyl. Everyone's going on about how great this Chernobyl drama is, and I don't want to watch a film about people being radioactively destroyed by a. We know what happened. Yeah, and, and having deformed babies, and just looking at that level of pain when there's absolutely nothing. Oh, you can be informed, and and then what? I'm going to make a sign, and then the, the super wealthy one percent would be like, "Oh, look at that bald redhead with this sign." Bloodshed, people. Bloodshed. Effects change. Everything <laughs> I, else, I don't know. <laughs> or economics. You got to hit them economically. Yeah. There you go. Anyways, Before the king I of Staten Abby Island. It, it, I'm guessing I was trying to work out what Staten Island is in in terms in a UK term. I think Staten Island is probably like Croydon. Do you know Croydon? It's near to London. Oh, do I know Croydon? I go way back. <laughs> I used to summer there. It's sort I've of never like, heard of it. Uh, Staten Island. I'm guessing from the film. I don't know much about Staten Island, but it's kind of near new york but not not the 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 trashier place are near new york i think or that's how it's viewed i would say well let me ask you this is it it's right outside of london yeah croydon's just outside of london okay so then all those people that move to london okay yeah and feel that they're a success simply because they left their hometown and they walk past big ben (laughs) do they all look down on those people um, yeah, I, I don't think anyone from Croydon gets out of Croydon, unfortunately. But yeah, they would do if they did that. Oh, they do. Yeah, in <laughs> in New York, in Manhattan, anybody from an outer borough is, is was considered uh, the bridge and tunnel crowd. Right. 
<laughs> it's just a super elitist, like, you know, how did you get this to the, at some point, you were either in a tunnel, or you went over a bridge yeah. to get to this exclusive island. Yeah. It's stupid. Where in London, it's if you're not if you're not on the Tube network, basically, which is most of South London, but is not on the Tube network, and Croydon very much is not on the Tube network. So yeah, I think it's the oh, the so king of South Croydon. London is, South London is where everybody thinks the animals live. <laughs> yeah, is that it. Yeah, yeah. So what was what, what was West End? I remember that song when I was a kid. Ah, uh, the West End girls and West End I mean, guys. The West End. He said something in something something the west, west end, end is the uh, posh part of central london it's where all the theaters are it's where the leicester square theater where i would be interviewing you if you were over uh in, the, in london. that's the first place i played in london is it yeah yeah so it's the, that's i mean that's sort of off west end but there's there's is that area it's leicester square and all that sort of area shaftesbury avenue it's it's a very it's it's supposedly swanky but uh you know it's it's still london you know what it is, Richard? You're too down to earth to even notice. You know what I mean? You're a people person. <laughs> I yeah. Like it. It's supposedly posh. <laughs> you know it is. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, Leicester Square sounds exciting, doesn't it? But it's 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 just some cinemas and a, a sort of slight, well, slightly dodgy statue. I was very excited to yeah. be there. London yeah. is a big deal for Americans, yeah, of course, of course. Well, and you know, but America's a big deal for us. Um, so the king of Staten well, Island, certain, you... cities, certain cities. I, this is why I can tell, like, when our economy is not doing well, is when I hear a British accent and I'm on my way to like Minnesota, <laughs> where it's just like, oh, I, you know, the pound or whatever denomination you have over there is so strong over here. Let's visit states nobody in England gives a fuck about. <laughs> <laughs> I went to uh, not. It was sort of ended up being a holiday. Well, it's sort of a holiday, but it was because my uh, it was one of my in my wife's. Uh, uncle was dying so i spent uh, two weeks in warsaw indiana which was a big experience that's that's the that's a side of america you don't usually see uh well let me ask you is there a big uh polish settlement there from back in the day that uh, warsaw because i know there's a lot of german in the midwest so i was wondering if uh there might be i mean you know there was a lot, a lot of, of there was amish like amish that. people around there so there was that they'd come from the they were you could go and visit the amish uh, towns and uh, the museum the living museum of the amish uh but i don't i don't know if there was many po- po- it was just you know it was proper indiana sort of trump it was just before the election to 2016 i think in the summer of that that year and uh you know a lot, lot uh, right of trump supporters we made it great again yeah uh, a lot of well, the thing that the school playing field in the over the summer was uh, they'd covered it in crosses and each cross re- represented four ch- babies that had been aborted in the county. That was that was the kind of that was, <laughs> oh that was the kind of place we were going to. So uh, you know there were it was it was uh, it was a bit different than what uh, you, as a British person you associate America with. But I was really glad. How to are you, How are you welcomed? Uh, they were well. People were kind of surprised <laughs> to see. Anyway, there was quite there was a there's a nice lake there. It's quite a nice uh, place, um, but uh, they were very surprised that British people were there. There were some firemen there who let our daughter go on their fire truck. They were they were very nice. It was very nice oh, people, cool. but they voted for Trump. So you know, I, I'm I'm. <laughs> well, he sold them a bill of goods and they bought it. Yeah. I mean, I still maintain if Bernie Sanders ran against them. Because both sides wanted change and the Democrats offered more of the same. Mm-hmm. So they came up with the Hillary's, the classic company man. 
you know, give them their wars and all the shit that they want, and then it'll trickle down to us, you know. So then Trump was coming in, I'm going to drain the swamp, which was so hilarious. Like, he was going to turn the lights on, and everyone was just going to be like, okay, you got us. We're corrupt. Donald's here. <laughs> well, it's... Uh... Um, it's turned out to be quite, you know, it's more interesting than I even thought it would be in the way it's turned out. I oh, thought there's no way anybody, anybody, anybody ever thought it was going to get to this. <laughs> we no, there's no, I mean, I almost think he has like, I, I, there's something psychological going on. Like, I, I don't even get, like when he walked across the street and he, he's holding the Bible up and then has like, like a scowl on his face. It's yeah. like, what is that? Like, what was that? And then tweeting, just to let you know, I barricaded myself in the basement. Yeah, that's what a leader does during times of trouble. Yeah. So that's the lights off. I was joking on my podcast. It was like that person on Halloween that doesn't want to participate and doesn't want to give out candy. <laughs> <laughs> but see, my wife thinks he's clever and it's all a plan. And I think he's just, you know, floundering through. I don't think I think generally I know you're into conspiracy theories. So you think things are controlled by if this guy. If this guy, if this whole pretending to be psychologically unstable <laughs> is a ploy to get a second term. Yeah, it is one of the greatest things you've ever seen to to show people <laughs> Like, I want to get reelected again. My game plan is to show that I'm psychologically unstable. <laughs> and if that works, because I'll tell you this, when they brought him in for that roast, that Obama roast, yeah. the Seth Meyers thing, and they, they stuck him in the middle of the room like raw meat for, the, for the, the absolute height of embarrassment and humiliation. And he sat there, and they all joked about how being president was way more difficult than the issues. And Obama just, his delivery was, just crushed the guy. Yeah. The fact that the guy then, whatever, two years later, the president has to turn his house over to him was, was like, that was like a Hollywood movie. Yeah. As far as like, that was like Carrie, where they dumped the blood on him and then he came back and he got his revenge. But that was also um, the hundred percent the moment he decided because he's all he's done is to, to turn back everything that Obama's done. So he just decided in that moment, I'm going to become president. I'm going to get back yeah, at you for and this, he, and I'm just going to all I'm going to do is just do the opposite of what you did. Very vindictive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's not a guy. I, I shouldn't be even saying that. He's not a guy that I would want to be upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> no. When I, you know, uh, but this should be. This should be interesting. Like, just two of the oldest white guys we have over here are going to start yelling at each other in a debate. So I, I can't wait. It's fun. For, it's, it's fun for comedians as long as we, uh, you know, as as you say, as long as they don't yeah, start. The, the, I'm calling it the dud versus the dope. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> so I want to talk. I'm still to you. holding out that, that you know the left will give Bernie Sanders a chance. Maybe wow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it'd be nice to put someone like just slightly younger in. I think just someone who's under sixty would be good. Just give him a chance. Give a youngster a chance. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about sex robots because that is again something we have in common in our stand-up. I, I did a big routine about sex robots, and yeah, 
you did a big routine about sex robots. Oh, I did. I watched yours and I, I stole it word for word, man. <laughs> yeah, you and Banksy. Came on to your podcast to apologize. <laughs> it's a very different. Uh, it's a different take on it, but I but I'm equally fascinated by sex robots. Mine came out of the fact that there was a program about you know super realistic robots, and I had an argument with my wife about whether it's cheating if I was to have sex with a robot. Is that cheating on my wife? Do you think that having sex with a robot is allowed within a marriage or do you think that would should be considered uh, cheating um it depends on what model you get yeah i would think like how good the technology is well it would be i just... mean if it's basically like fucking a pillow with a head on it <laughs> then i think you have other issues but if yeah. it's really like human-like yeah um I, I i can tell you this that is something i want to believe that i'm never going to do <laughs> Because I don't, I don't think you return from that level of freedom, where it's like you're just going to have somebody that's not going to question you. Yeah. Because it's going to go beyond that. Once people start banging them, then they're going to want to have the full-on relationship. Like, hey, man, you know, I've been fucking you any way I wanted to for the last couple of months. I think I'd take you out on a picnic at least. As long as it doesn't rain so you don't won't rust out here right <laughs> and i think eventually it's going to move in that direction and it's going to be uh and then there's going to be progressive people saying that these robots deserve rights yeah and that they these robots should be allowed to come in and say goodbye to their human partner <laughs> when they're on their deathbed it's going to be uh yeah it's going to be and things are going to get worse before they get better okay when it comes to I'm very hopeful. I, I think, think it's going I to be good. It is. It is. A. It's already. It's already too late. <laughs> it's already too late. The Pandora's box has been open. No, we did a. Um, we did a uh, all things comedy. We produced a special for Whitney Cummings, and her as a joke. She had a, a a robot sex doll made in her likeness. Okay. And I was told when they were visiting different factories to see which one they went to one creepy one. They didn't want to go to where they had all these little ones uh, and they were like, what are those? And then they said that those are the economy size ones <laughs> when it was clearly <laughs> like, it looked like it was like a little kid. Yeah. So that is just not, I, I the fact that nobody like, the level of attention on a stand-up comedian's joke while this shit is being developed, just right over here. <laughs> there's no... I don't know. Part of me just thinks there's such little manufacturing done <laughs> in the United States that they they legalized weed and, and, and robot sex dolls just so we could have something that said made in America. <laughs> Dynamite and Sons, pianos. There's a few things left. Yeah, well, it would be, you know, there is there's a big uh, philosophical question at the heart of it about whether the human race will continue. It's exactly what you said whether you, you know, no. whether you would need that, whether you would want uh, a relationship with something that was uh, completely would bend to your will, whatever that was. You know, in a, a human relationship, we have to, uh, you know, make concessions. <laughs> and have arguments you have to work on yourself yeah yeah i i so i think it plays out yeah i think the upper one percent you know sort of a hacky term but i would say the super rich yeah one of the most annoying things 
about other human beings to them is our complaining. How many hours we're working, we want health insurance, we want benefits, we want to be treated like a human being and all that. These robots solve this. So basically what they could do is replace the entire workforce with literally slave labor. And then on top of that, it would be all these supermodel looking slave labor <laughs> that they could then fuck anyone that they wanted to. Yeah. And then I feel like um, it just becomes like seven royal families in each country <laughs> and all robot slash worker and sex slaves. And no and, more, uh, no more human beings than that. So all the poor people would go and all the, the people who weren't, they all go. All gone. Yeah. The, the only reason why they keep us around is they need us. Yeah. Once you have that, you make a couple of funny robots, then I'm out of there. <laughs> you know, you get your funny robot, yeah. you get your sex robot, you get your strong robot. <laughs> and then but you'd have to keep some people around to do maintenance. But eventually they would they would teach the robots how to fix each other. Yeah. And um, but you, you would need like the geek squad to still be around. To make sure that they didn't turn on them. <laughs> it's got they, they're going to have a tiger by the tail. Yeah what's going to happen. So I, I think that eventually um, there's going to be this weird period where regular people are just going to kind of be sitting around and there's going to be no job. <laughs> and we're just going to, we're going to be like the old VCR when the DVD player came out, <laughs> you know, and you just put the DVD, the DVD player on top of the VCR. Yeah. That's going to be us. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's an optimistic look at it. I think that could be good very well. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the uh, paper tiger. This is just a very specific uh, prop-based thing in Paper Tiger. I noticed that, and this is only in this. This is the one you did at the Albert Hall. Is that was that Paper Tiger? You had a head mop. You had like a big sponge thing that you mopped your head with when you got sweaty. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? It looked like a kind of like it looked like a mop thing, but you didn't have it in any of the other stand-up routines that I saw. <laughs> was it particularly hot in that venue, or was that something that you you have a it towel? It was a hand towel. Was it? It looked like a mop thing, like like a little hat beanie hat thing that you do. Yes, your question. Yeah. How old is your television? <laughs> it's new. It looked. It looked. I guess it had just been sat on a chair, and you picked it up and went. But I noticed you didn't do. You didn't mop your head in. And the, and the other stand-up specials I watched, so... Yeah, and then what ends up becoming a problem is is if you sweated a little more in the first one uh, than the second one. Yeah. Yeah, so I've learned through time to, like, sort of remember where the mic stand. It's this weird thing where you have to remember where things are while also just being carefree and sort of loose. Because I usually take, like, 90% of one special. Right. Is what I do, and then there's... It's just a few because if they're like too long, like the real Albert Hall one was too long. So we had to cut a little section out. Yeah. Slam it together. So then you, you kind of need it's almost like, you know, when people restore a car, they have the car they want to restore and then they buy another version. And that's the parts car. Yeah. You kind of need that to take a couple of things to sure. put it on and make it. So that's that would that's why I had the mop. Thing. Head mop. I just wondered if that was a thing you developed over the I've got hair, so I don't need I don't need a head mop. I've got a lot of hair. So that hair just that gets rid of the the head sweat itself. You have no idea how much true tr like the level that you have to sweat. Yeah. Or you look down and it starts pouring <laughs> before you shave your head. It's unreal. Right. 
Like, like, I mean, if I was to go do a hot yoga class, I would need like a headband. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would be just coming down in my eyes and it would start stinging. How was playing the Albert Hall? I've not played uh, the Albert Hall at all, I don't think. But uh, was that, it's quite an unusual Maybe venue. You don't think. You, you would forget I've, that? Like, oh, I want to live your life. <laughs> like, what life are you living that you well, play Royal? Did I ever play that place? <laughs> I haven't. You sometimes do charity concerts somewhere and do like five minutes somewhere. But I don't think I, I've well, that's done. that's right. And I, but, I don't count those. No. You don't count those. No, but I've never even got to play the rooms. I've played, there's a little room at the Albert Hall that seats about 200 people. I've played that but I've not played the actual Albert Hall. It's quite, I've been there and watched stuff. It's quite a weird venue for comedy, I would think. Did it, did it just because it's a high ceiling, the audience are... Oh, I loved it. Did you? Yeah, I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan, so right. every time I go there, I just think picture John Bonham's drums are right there. Yeah. Page was there. Uh, John Paul Jones plant was there, you know? I, I, I absolutely... Uh, I love performing there. It was a, an unbelievable honor to go to another country just to have people show up, forget about playing. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful venues in the world. Sure. I don't know if you take it for granted because you live down the street. You're not sure if West End is posh or not. <laughs> the Albert Hall is pretty can't posh. I remember if you played the Royal Albert Hall or not. <laughs> it's sort of a big deal for an American to go over there. I played the, I can't even remember what it's called. There's a tiny room. Yeah, I, I haven't played the Albert Hall, um, but I would like to. It looks nice. Carnegie Hall. I can't remember if I was ever there. <laughs> Is that in Rhode Island? <laughs> so let's uh, quickly talk about... I mean, there's loads more to talk about. This is, uh, But let's talk about F is for Family, which uh, is the fourth season's just about to go out on Netflix in the next few days. I yes, think. That also comes out Friday, okay. June 12th. It's a big day for you. It's a big day it for is. your fans. And then, and then I got nothing. <laughs> and then it's all, I, just, I flatline. It's, uh, again, this is, this, it's, it's uh, unusual in that it's a cartoon, but it, it feels, I mean, there's, it's comedy, but it feels very dramatic to me again. I think like you get, the more you get into the, the story of it, it the, there's big series arcs and it's about the, the, the relationships of the people so it's it, you know it's not like the simpsons or maybe it's like the simpsons in the early days where they where they it was about the, the family relationships but it's actually a, a darker thing than most cartoons Do you think it's yeah to say? i I, w I would say that sorry i gotta yeah. turn the pillow over it's getting hot in my legs okay. my old legs here my 52 year old thighs <laughs> um yeah it's a um yeah i i i the comedy, I like all kinds of comedy. Sure. I like absurd. I like silly, avant-garde. I don't care what it is. But like just my wheelhouse from where my brain is, I like coming from a place of reality. And it can get absurd, but I, I try not to go too, too absurd. Um, I, we sort of pick our spots of absurdity on the show, but it, it has to be tethered to some sort of reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's just my own personal taste because if when stuff gets so ridiculously absurd, I stop caring about the characters. Sure. Like I don't give a shit what happens to any of them. And so I need to have some sort of something that I can kind of relate to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just in the opening titles of the of your character flying through the sky from a young man to a middle-aged man and crashing through the roof into his family, just the way that opening titles passes by you kind of know 
it's sort of sat funny and just oh my god that's that's our lives isn't it that's that's our lives gone in an in instance we fly and the hope disappears from his eyes and you're stuck with this angry <laughs> middle-aged guy which i you know i know isn't based uh solely on your experience i know that you've got a lot of writers there and you've created a sort of composite of all your fathers and mothers maybe a little bit is that true yeah that's actually what i like most about yeah. the show i like that it isn't any one specific person's family member because yeah. i don't think that's a fair thing to do to somebody especially if they're not in show business or anything like that i guess if you're in show business somebody can do a send-up of you but that's in a way your fault for standing on a stage that's part of it but if somebody you know i, di I didn't want anybody that i knew or loved to be mortified by it but i definitely you know, we'll take bits and pieces of stories or an event or a line that somebody said, like, I'll put you through that fucking wall was something my dad used to say. Yeah. And he, and one time he did say that when we were standing outside and he sort of pointed towards like the yard, I'll put you through that for like, what, what the, the wall across the street, that other house or whatever. We try not to laugh, just things like that were sort of the basis of, um, well, the show actually came about for me telling stories about my family on stage. And I've been doing this long enough that I've seen sort of like generations go by where my family stories were totally relatable and hilarious at first. And then all of a sudden, after 15 years in, it was kind of like, oh, and they started some groan. Then everything got labeled. That's mental abuse, physical abuse. <laughs> um, that's overbearing behavior. And I'd be on stage, come on, this is funny. So I, I got frustrated. I wish I could shut that stupid friggin' <laughs> dinging thing off. I don't know how to do it. Um, but I um, I just got frustrated with it, and I was trying to think, how the hell could I ever tell these stories and without people getting offended? And then, you know, I was a fan of South Park yeah. and a lot of these shows like that and the stuff that they could get away with. I was like, all right, what if I animate them? So I, you know, I was just going to do little five-minute vignettes. I was going to pay to animate them on my website, and I never got around to it. And then fortunately, through this comedian, Steve Byrne, I met Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley, and they had a production company, Wild West Productions. And through them, I met Mike Price, the great Mike Price, who's our showrunner and who's from The Simpsons. And then it became a show. Yeah. Turned into a half hour thing. And then we went to Netflix and we wanted to do standalone episodes. And Netflix was like, no, do it serialized. One episode leads into the other. And I thought that that was the dumbest idea. <laughs> Why would you do that? And then within 10 minutes of starting to write like that, I realized, no, this is brilliant. And it was so much fun. And thank God Netflix gave that note because I didn't know what the hell no, I was it doing. No, it's, it's very rare you get a <laughs> note from above that makes things something better. But I think that sending that first season especially, I think just the... You take, you know, you take, you're, you're getting into it and then, and, and then you get very caught up in the, the story, the strike, the airstrike. You know what's and, funny? The only thing worse than a bad note is a good note. A bad note. <laughs> yeah. What the hell are they? they don't even get the show. A good note. Then you feel stupid. Like, yeah, yeah they're right. How, how come we didn't see that? <laughs> but what I, I think what you read, because it's set in 1973, which is obviously like a little bit uh, earlier than you would have been 10 years. There's a character that I sort of yeah. feel is you as a kid, right? That's, that's called Bill. Uh, so, yeah. uh, but you, you wouldn't have been 10 in 73. But I think the, the look, especially the peripheral characters, they're they're very seventies without being cliches, and I really like the, the the little kid with the hair all over his face and the the guys who work in the airport. 
the, the actual look of the animation is fantastic, I think. Yeah, you know, a lot of TV and movies sort of um, turn, they turn every decade into a cartoon. Yeah. Like whatever the fad was, they make it look like everybody was into it. Yeah, yeah. And then also everybody has a new car. If it takes <laughs> place in the 70s, everybody's driving a car from the 70s. Like there's no cars left over from the 60s or sure. the 50s. Like, like um, Frank drive, drives a 1965 four-door Ford Galaxy. Yeah. 1973 it's about eight years old that's what a married guy with three kids would be driving yeah um sue drove a like a late 60s early 70s country squire station wagon that she has since cracked up and then they had to buy like a, a 74 wagon and that was like a big deal um like i remember there was a guy in our neighborhood there was always like one guy in the neighborhood who had some big like he was a businessman and he went on business trips which was like a big <laughs> deal like somebody went to the airport and flew somewhere and he also had a company car. Every two years, he'd get a new... And we all lived vicariously off him. Right. And this guy across the street always had a, a brand new Lincoln Continental. He was an executive. And he'd get a brand new Lincoln Continental every two years. What color was it going to be? What was it going to look like? It was, it was amazing. And he yeah. was sort of in, like in a, in a suit way, business way, was like a rock star in my neighborhood. So yeah. we tried to have it like... You know, in our country, my country, it was like um, it was a, a huge economic downturn in the 70s. And a lot of um, um, corporations responses to unions that had then become oppressive the way they had. Yeah. You know, like, hey, it's not my job. You know, it's my time to lean on this shovel. You need to hire five guys to go up this ladder and change this sign and pay us all 20 bucks an hour. Like they really we're throwing their weight around and corporations are like, all right, fuck you. We're leaving the country. Yeah. So have fun with your union and all of these jobs, steel worker jobs and all of that went away and inner cities became like where they were these big robust places of employment just became, became like the rust belt. Sure. So the seventies, you know, gas guzzling cars, you know, factories going out of work, out, out of business, old theaters broken down, like the theaters, where it used to be like these places you dressed in suits to see movies and vaudeville, then movies. And then they kind of, kind of became like porno adult movie houses by the 60s and 70s. So it was a really, it was kind of a grimy time. Sure. With this super colorful serial and TV shows and acid and stuff. But like Hollywood just kind of focused on like the AMC Pacer, lava lamps, yeah. bell bottoms. Yeah. Like for some reason, the Serpico '70s never existed in Hollywood. It was all the BGS disco, sure. big collars, and that type of shit. They kind of skipped over where our our um, our like uh, our show exists. Yeah, well, and but, I, I remember the BGS and shit. And then people didn't walk down the street in that John Travolta, <laughs> you know, all white suit with the black shirt. Like people didn't walk around in that, you know. <laughs> I think both the film and the series are both they're 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 about people that you don't usually see in TV shows and films or not as much. So they're it's blue collar in America, isn't it? But it's 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 so interesting, I think, to see that done from a like you say from a realistic and a perspective of people who actually experienced it. And that that's that that car thing is great detail. It's it's really where people have really thought about it. Um, the 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 new series. Uh, it's, uh, I won't go into too much detail because it's just coming out. I don't want to spoil it for people. But Jonathan Banks from uh, uh, Breaking yeah, Bad is Breaking playing Bad. your character's dad. 
who's yeah. sort of interestingly in 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 your character's memory is um this ball-breaking horrible guy but everyone else <laughs> thinks he's a, a legend and has a different memory of him and and he seems nice uh when he yeah, comes we back. were sort of playing with the that idea of like you know how your parents you know when you sit down around the holidays and you know you have a couple of drinks like you know one time you did this and blah 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 and their perception of it 90 yeah. percent of the times first of all they're like oh i never did that yeah, that yeah. never happened or it was just a joke and <laughs> what i've realized over the years is like it was just a joke to them but to you and your child brain yeah. you, like they hit you at an adult level when you were a kid so it actually so nobody's wrong yeah because they yeah. were joking but it did damage you and it becomes this thing in your head because your world is so small. That event is so big and so vivid and really like can define you or change you as a person. And then when you bring it up to them 30 years later, it was so minuscule. They don't even remember it, yeah, of course. which actually adds to the pain. Yeah. <laughs> like I was your son and you did that and you don't even remember. And they're like, that didn't even, that didn't even happen. You know? So, and then what happens is, all the, the person that you marry meets your dad as an adult and like, oh, he's a great guy. He's a great, like they just, and, it, and you so want them to see them the way you see them. So you, then you kind of have to wrestle with this thing of like, did I make too big a deal out of this? Yeah. Or have I held on to this too long? Am I insane <laughs> or am I right? And my wife is just more of the same, like my dad, and I'm never going to get validated. So you have to like wrestle with all of that. So sure. a lot of the season is about that. Yeah, it's right. It's you know, I think anything, parents and children, fathers and sons, it's always like there's always a lot to get <laughs> to get out of those things. But I get you know, I don't know. It's also you sort of hit. I mean, I don't know our lives compared to our fathers' lives. You know, I think certainly your dad was a dentist. My dad was a headmaster. It's the the lives we have are sort of un, would be unimaginable to my granddad. The life I have would be unimaginable. But they, they, they you know, he lived. My granddad lived a life where he was just, a, you know, working in the building trade, that sort of thing. He could never, yeah. you know, he was a clever guy, but he would ne he could never have broken away and gone to university or, or, or done something like become a comedian. You know, it would have been absolutely impossible. Um, yeah, I have a little bit of both. I have some blue collar people that started their own businesses yeah. and became big fish and little ponds out there. I had another relative that was a big time executive. Right. I feel like this is where I kind of get that comedic streak. He was a big executive at one of the big three car companies in Detroit. Okay. And he shot his mouth off about something. He shouldn't, he should have kept his mouth <laughs> shut and not said what he was thinking, but he did. <laughs> and he got busted all the way down to like running a car dealership. <laughs> So there's a little bit of Frank Murphy in that. Yeah. In that, like, where Frank never got there. This guy got there and then kind of got busted down. But he also, you know, I think kind of taught people in my family to say what you're thinking. If you really think it's right to say it, you know, consequences be damned. <laughs> so uh, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of that in my family where there is a, it should be said, but you shouldn't say it. <laughs> and then you do, and then you pay, you pay the price. <laughs> or, because I don't want to paint it like we're, we, we, we're, we're always right, because we aren't. But then there's the other thing of like, there's times where we are right, 
but the way we express it, we then become wrong, <laughs> which has been my life. We're like, yeah, dude, you made a good point, but that's no reason to call somebody a fucking cunt. <laughs> you could have just made the point rather than leading with, let me tell you something, you fucking cunt. Because who is listening after that? True. You know? But, you know, like a big phrase in my family is, you know what your fucking problem is? <laughs> Which, like, somebody's going to be like, well, gee, what, well, I, I've, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me what my problem is. By all, by all means, bestow your wisdom on me. <laughs> it's the problem with the world, oh. though, isn't it? That's if everyone started, look, what about this? Rather than you fucking. No, that's idiot. my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite thing when I look at interactions on the internet. Where people were right, like, hey, fuckhead, maybe if you blah, blah, blah. Like, who's listening past, hey, fuckhead? <laughs> I mean, it's over. It's true. Um, but, you know, expressing yourself, uh, I think maybe it's something that, may, you know, I'm writing a book a moment about uh, men and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's about, well, I do this thing on international I love women. how you soft pedal all your stuff. That's about men and blah, blah, blah. I maybe played the Royal Albert Hall. I, I, I don't remember. It's about where men are at the moment based on, you know, I, I, I do a thing on International Women's Day where I go on Twitter and everyone who asks when's International Men's Day, when there'll never be an International Men's Day and there is an International Men's Day. It's November the 19th. So I just find everyone who asks that question and tell them it's November the 19th. Uh, but oh, it's... that's great. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> I would have thought the response you were going to get every other day of yeah. the year. <laughs> when you get that, that's the other, that's the other cliche. But it's just, A, it's a bad, you know, it's like people doing their bit of stand-up on Twitter. Go, when's International Men's Day? November the 19th. Uh, it's not a good joke is the, my main problem. <laughs> with it. But I'm ending up writing a book about um, uh, whether, you know, equality and whether you know men or women need it more or blah 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 but i think men are in a sort of crisis i'm quoting you with them i've quoted you in a chapter because i was talking about male the male feminists and how ridiculous you think that is that a man can be a feminist but that's also the view of feminists like feminists don't want men to be not that they're a feminist i also i just view it as they're just putting on that sure thing to, to keep to be like, see, I wore my button. Yeah, yeah. Male feminist. So I'd be, oh, he's an ally, and all that. Those dumb terms. It's like that's all you have to do. <laughs> that's all you have to do. So all those Nazis at the end of World War Two, <laughs> all they would have to do is just put on a button. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just like your actions. I think should prove like I don't know. I, I have a debate with this. My wife is also like, well, yeah, but a button is a show and a sign of solidarity. He's also right. I'm an idiot. That is, no, but I mean, I think, I think you're both. You, you're, you're right and wrong, and you're right, we're all right and wrong. It's very, it's a very difficult book to write because I want to get both sides, but I also hey, want to. That's exactly right. We are all right and wrong. Yeah, and so it's One very of the main difficult. Of human beings is our inability to admit when we're wrong, yeah. and I have it <laughs> in spades. Yeah, but. Uh, I think men are, you know, there is a crisis that men don't express themselves. Like comedians, you know, at least even if you're expressing yourself in fake anger or comedians express themselves. And, and, and though a lot of comedians are crazy, it's good to get it out there, right? It makes you, it makes me feel better to do the sort of stuff I do on stage. I'm sure it makes you feel better to get that stuff out. I think a lot of men are repressing and, and because of masculinity... Which again, I suppose both of these the, these things we're talking about, these new projects are about masculinity and about um, the journey men have to take, and 
the way you know the way that men can equally be downtrodden by the system but men get angry with women when they should be getting angry with the system the same system that's that's stamping women down is stamping men down you know men are it's the patriarchy is bad for men and yet we support it much more than women do because we kind of get we buy into that masculine stuff we we don't question it yeah you don't sort of like yeah, like that whole thing that we supported, like there's some sort of meeting going on. I don't yeah. know. I will tell you, this is how this is. I'm watching a show right now that's based on a real murder case. Right. And it's about a woman. She was raised Catholic. She believed in marriage. Gets married to this guy. The guy's in medical school. All right. And, you know, which is obviously a lot of debt you incur before he becomes a doctor. So right as he gets to the end of medical school, he decides he wants he doesn't want to be a doctor. He wants to be a lawyer like a, and, and do like malpractice suits, uh, uh, lawsuits. So he goes to law school. And during that time, she was the breadwinner and supported him. So then they finally come out the other side. He makes partner. He's making all this money and they're living the good life. And then he starts, you know, hooking up with some assistant has an affair and ends up leaving his wife for her long story short she snaps drives her car into the front of his house in the front door with her own kids in there right and eventually she ends up getting a gun and killing both of them okay and when i read about the actual case said this was a landmark case that opened up the debate about women sacrificing their careers to help their guys and then being left with nothing. And I just thought that that was the funniest thing ever. (laughs) That it was like, this was the case that brought that up? Like, this isn't a case about mental illness and maybe gun control? (laughs) It's like, there's no way if a guy murdered his wife (laughs) that it would be a landmark case to talk about how the problems that men have with something that women are doing in a case where a guy murdered a woman. Yeah. Like OJ Simpson. This is a great case. <laughs> this is a landmark case that brought up the fact that wives don't rub their guys feet enough after a long day <laughs> out there on the gridiron. Like you would be you would be tarred and feathered and it would be the end of your career and like and I'm watching the way they're telling the story. I love the show because the yes. acting's incredible. And the writing is good. But the way they are making the husband out in this marriage when I'm watching it is I am like three episodes in. I'm like, oh, yeah, she should shoot this guy. <laughs> like, this is the way. And this was an actual guy who can't defend himself and is dead. <laughs> and his kids are psychologically scarred because of, of what the ex-wife did. And you're watching it. And the way that they're telling the story, because I've gotten in arguments with my wife about him. I go, do you don't think this is weird? The way they're telling this story? And he goes, well, it's her story. What, did she write it? There's a difference between being her story and being a story about what she did. This almost seems like it's a defense. Recently, she's been in jail for like 30 years, and recently she was up for parole, and she has some sort of narcissistic uh, defect or whatever she still sees nothing wrong with what she did okay and they won't let her out i mean she's an absolute nut job yeah i mean whether in a mental health facility i think is the debate yeah and how to just you know listen what that guy did was bad it was a piece of shit move you get divorced that's it (laughs) it's not licensed to go murder the guy but the way they're telling this story that is the thing 
where a lot of my comedy comes from, where it's just so blatantly like, like we had one football player that was taking a knee over here. Yeah. All right. About police brutality. And, and everybody on the left was like, hey, man, like, you know, let him say what he wants to say. And everybody on the right was like, shut the fuck up and play football. And now another football player is talking about Black Lives Matter. You know, kind of arguing it. And then all of a sudden the right's like, hey, man, let him say what he wants. <laughs> then the left's like, oh, you shut the fuck up. We need to cancel you. So the whole thing is just. Yeah, it's just bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. But I, I find with like that. That men, woman, woman thing, like for as much as they're complaining, there's like some really like major issues, like, I don't know, murder. Yeah. Where where the the dialogue is still going in the direction of these poor women. Yeah. I mean, I, now, I am 100% <laughs> in agreement, Richard, that if a woman puts her career aside and then this guy gets all these credits and then he may and then leaves, she is entitled to something. But I draw the line that she's entitled to go murder him and his sure. new wife. <laughs> that make me like a, a misogynistic person? I don't. It's I a, guess a, not. I haven't seen the show, so I don't massively comment. I would only say that I guess it's, you know, women have experienced it a lot more, I guess, in the other direction. And I suppose there's there's a, in a, you know, I think you're right. There's a real life, there's a drama there's a vicarious thrill, like in Breaking Bad. There's a vicarious thrill weird, about that guy. I might be weird here. I might be weird here, where I think if a wife kills a husband or the husband <laughs> kills a wife, they are equally sure. terrible people yeah. and need to go to jail, unless the, there was some sort of physical abuse sure. by the guy when the woman didn't feel she had. That I understand. Mm -hmm. All right, but whatever. The guy screws around and then leaves you. Then I mean, that definitely sucks. Yeah. Get a lawyer. Being an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Right. Well, <laughs> we I should let you go in a sec. We haven't even talked about podcasting and how you've managed to turn this thing into a... I mean, you basically turn podcasting into a huge... You've got your own studios and your own production company and you're making shows for... I did it with Al Madrigal, Mike yeah. Bertolina. A bunch of other guys helped me out. And uh, Bert Kreischer, everybody, you know, that is, has been podcasting on it. It's like we all just sort of... We just... You know, throughout my career, I've just watched artists create a scene and then the businessman comes in like, OK, this is how we're going to make money off of it, which is great because you need the businessman. But it always ends up being, OK, I own all of it. All the checks come to me and then I pay you with my name on the check and then they just steal from you. And then they're making mailbox money. Yeah. And you have to you have to keep dancing for your supper. So um, we wanted to create something where comedians could all band together help each other out and still maintain ownership of their podcasts and their projects. Yeah. And that's, that's what we've been doing. That's great. When, All when you started yeah. podcasting in 2007, were you getting a lot of comics saying to you, what the fuck are you doing this? You're not making any money out of this. Why would you podcast or, or did you immediately? No, it, hit was the ground? Totally looked, it was just totally looked at as a promotional thing. Right. It was, I actually called in a service on my flip phone, cell phone and would only talk for five, six minutes and then promote my upcoming gigs. Yeah. And then I would uh, I would put it on my MySpace page. Right. Those were the first episodes. And I used to I used to drive around and I'd be in airports making fun of fat people and shit. Like those were the first ones. They were like five minutes and they were 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. And then it just sort of grew into a show. Um, 
and people just started listening. And once enough people listen, then the advertisers start sniffing around. And uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden you get a guy like Joe Rogan and Mark Marin having the president, standing president as a guest. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it's been, it is that that sort of appeal to me as well, that sort of, uh, you know, having the autonomy to do whatever you wanted. I think, again, it kept in, in the UK 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we were going through like a, one of those times where radio and TV were saying, you can't do this, you can't say that. So just the idea of being able to do whatever you wanted and put it straight out there was what sort of appealed to me. But it's, it's, it, it's incredible. I think the last five, ten years, uh, how it has become such a big business. Obviously, in America especially, there's multi-million dollar deals. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, yeah. yeah, it's been crazy. Been crazy, so I'm happy to be a small part of it. Yeah, you're you're a pretty big part of it. Uh, well, look, I I should let you go. You've got a you've been fantastic to give us all this time. Uh, coming out very soon, uh, probably by the time this podcast did. Uh, uh, F is for family and the King of Staten Island, both fantastic, very well worth your time. Uh, and uh, you're also we didn't even talk about the Mandalorian. I'm not that interested in Star Wars, but I'm still impressed by the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it much either. No. I used to, all I would do is make fun of it. People actually think I hate Star Wars. Like I haven't even watched it enough to have an opinion on it. But I, I just would, anytime I see people getting overly excited about something as a comedian, the antenna goes up. It's like, there's something to make fun of because it will annoy those people, but will make these people over here laugh. It's sort of a form of trolling. So I've yeah. definitely had a lot of people asking me like, Hey, this is something you made fun of, and now all of a sudden you're in it. <laughs> John Favreau came up to me. I was at we were at a, a mutual friend's birthday party, and because uh, I'm in the mix out here, Richard. Yeah, you know? pretty clearly. Uh, he asked me if I wanted to be on it, and I told him. I said, you know, I've done nothing but make fun of that. He goes, I know. I listen to your podcast. I think your fans would think it would be hilarious if you were in it. Now, had I known that he was going to shoot it like a spaghetti Western. And I used to love all the Clint Eastwood, Charles Bronson, Lee Marvin movie. If I knew it was going to be, I would have begged him to be in it. So <laughs> uh, it was just sort of dumb luck. Yeah. Of getting to know a few different people and doing a podcast. That's how I got on it. Well, it's, it's great to see. I mean, I think a lot comedians are good actors on the whole. A lot. I and mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. The ones that go and do it, but you're, you're extremely and breaking bad as well. Obviously. I mean, it's a, a, a lot of the, isn't for, for oh, you're in probably four episodes of that, but that's a very memorable character of of QB, uh, was it? <laughs> as, yeah. as he says, as he yeah. tries to remember, but I got it right, so that's good. Uh, but so uh, the lion on the money, and it's the scene where the guy uh runs into the wall, tries to escape, and runs into the wall. Uh, it's the very memorable bits to be to be playing with. I mean, all these things, you know, Marissa Tomei, yeah, what a fantastic Banks. actor to work with, and Jonathan Banks, you've been working with, and. Uh, you know, you would you've been in a scene with Walter White and Mike in Breaking Bad. <laughs> That's pretty good. I know. No, the, you know, one of the coolest things was because I was such a big fan of the show. Sure. When I actually got on it, it was it was I was pinching myself. But one of the coolest things was I got to do a a, a scene in uh, Saul Goodman's office. Yeah. We had the Constitution on the wall, and I think he went into the safe, and I was just like, I can't believe because <laughs> i didn't get on to like the fourth season i think so sure. i had been and at that point i'd watched like you know 60 episodes of this thing or whatever it was and uh 30 40 episodes of it i it was just it was so surreal to be <laughs> i imagine for a star wars fans it would that was like my millennium falcon yeah, there you go. yeah how about that yeah that's cool well look i'll let you get back to your tiny child 
they're so little when they come out and they you forget how tiny they are it's so nice that first, oh yeah that first yeah, one. and how soft they're just yeah. like they're like a horse's muzzle i mean i kind the of best smell ever i mean i don't want when to have another yawn, one but... it just makes the heart explode yeah with love just watching them yawn it's the cutest <laughs> thing ever not that I haven't enjoyed talking to you, Richard, but I, I'm going to get back to that. <laughs> you get back to that. <laughs> they grow up and they're not as nice. But I kind of think, oh, maybe we'll have another one now. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah, you can't put your wife through that again. <laughs> poor, poor woman. Hey, look, uh, thanks so much for giving me so much of your time. And everyone go and uh, stream both of those shows uh, and the, the film and the shows. Uh, it's very well worth your time. Thank you very much. I hope uh, to see you over right, in the I'll UK see you soon. In the West End, all right? Yeah, I'll see you in the West End. Thanks so much, <laughs> Bill. Bill, right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Cheers, Thank dude. you, everybody. We'll see you. Bye. Right, Richard, thank you so much. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, we'll see. I'll just... Uh... You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Rich Terring, and my guest, Bill Burr. Thank you very much to Pest for continuing to provide us with these musical treats. I would like to thank very much uh, Chris Evans, not that one, or that one, or any of the other ones. He's the Welsh one from Welsh Wales. Uh, Taffy McTaffy T. Taff, they call him. Uh, and he has been invaluable help uh, during this lockdown period, setting up all this stuff and being there for me when things have gone wrong and making sure the guests turn up as they nearly didn't this week. I would, I'm indebted probably to some executive producer, but I don't have their name this time. They'll be in next week's instead. Um, thank you very much to uh, Ben Walker and uh, everyone else who knows me. And thank you to everyone at ACAST, British Comedy Guide, Ian Tunes, all that lot. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to GoFasterStripe.com slash badges for more stuff than you could dream would possibly be and to help us make more podcasts. You'll get lots of lovely extras, my fan, fan friends.